Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. At the Life Awards, we bring you to sunny California, where Live Action honored three pro-life advocates for their courageous and life-affirming work. We share a special interview with Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, who discusses his pro-life leadership and receiving the Life Award. Abortion pill reversal. California sues pro-life pregnancy centers for helping women reverse course after taking the deadly drug mifepristone. We have the details and share reaction from these life-saving centers. Healing after miscarriage. October is National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. We speak to Kristalina Everett about how she found peace after losing children through miscarriages. Plus, we hear from a Catholic pro-life doula on navigating pregnancy after a miscarriage. This weekend, hundreds of pro-life advocates gathered in Southern California to celebrate at Live Action's fifth annual Life Awards Gala, and our team was honored to join them. This is not merely a political or legal battle. It is a moral imperative, a duty we owe to the children who cannot speak for themselves. Founder Lila Rose spoke of courage in her remarks to gala attendees, and that night Live Action honored three pro-life advocates who have courageously defended life in their work. Governor Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma, who signed one of the nation's first abortion bans after the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Kathy Ireland, a world-renowned model and business owner who has used her platform to stand up for unborn lives. And the Sisters of Life, an order of women religious who dedicate their lives to defending the dignity of life. Just days before the gala, the state of California issued a lawsuit against five pro-life pregnancy centers in the state over their promotion of abortion pill reversal, or APR. The abortion pill regimen consists of taking two pills, mifepristone and misoprostol. But if a woman changes her mind before she takes the second drug, she might be able to reverse the deadly effect of mifepristone by taking progesterone, a growth hormone naturally produced by a woman during pregnancy. California's pro-abortion attorney general Rob Bonta claims that there is no evidence to suggest abortion pill reversal is safe and effective and alleges in his lawsuit that pro-life pregnancy centers lure pregnant women in with these misleading claims. Heartbeat International, one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit, released a statement in response. The organization says... All major studies show that progesterone to counteract a chemical abortion can be effective since it's the very same hormone a woman's body produces to sustain her pregnancy. Through our Abortion Pill Rescue Network hotline, we know that some women almost immediately regret their chemical abortion choice. These women deserve the right to try and save their pregnancies. No woman should ever have to be forced to complete an abortion she no longer wants. Earlier this year, Colorado became the first state to advance legislation that would ban APR. Medical regulatory boards in the state had the opportunity to nullify this new law and allow for APR as an option for women who regret taking abortion pills and want to save their baby. Unfortunately, three medical boards have doubled down in favor of the law, saying administering APR is, quote, unprofessional conduct. A ban on the life-saving treatment is expected to take effect on October 1st. Faith-based clinic Bella Health and Wellness, which offers APR, is fighting back and made an appeal challenging the law. 
We sat down with Governor Stitt at the Life Awards Gala to discuss these legal battles over abortion pill reversal, the work of live action, and his efforts to save babies in Oklahoma, one of the most pro-life states. We have that interview for you right now. Governor Stitt, thank you so much for joining me today. Talk to me about what it means to you to be here at the Live Action Gala celebrating life and to be receiving an award um, from, this, from this organization. Well, it's, uh, it's truly an honor to be here and to be recognized nationally as a, as a leader in pro-life. And uh, as, a, as a fourth generation Oklahoman, um, never really envisioned myself being governor. I was in the business world. I, I started a company with $1,000 in a computer and grew it. So I was, did that. Today we have over 1,000 employees. And I just felt called to run for governor. And so um, got into the race, ended up winning. And, and I always thought, you know, I was kept wondering, if I win, like, what am I going to protect my state from? Uh, what's going to happen? And then to be the governor that got, got a chance to ban abortion in my state uh, is just really, a, really an honor and a thrill to represent these pro-life values and godly values in the state of Oklahoma. Yes, and as you just mentioned, abortion is banned in your state. It's only legal if the mother's life is at risk. Talk to me about the path in Oklahoma to kind of make that happen. And, and I also uh, would like you to weigh in on these lawsuits that we're seeing from pro-abortion women and doctors who are claiming that because they can't get abortion that they're not receiving the health care that is their right? Yeah, well, first off, we're, we want to be the most pro-family state in the country, and that means we're going to take care of the mother and the baby. I've been introducing fatherhood initiatives. We believe in the family unit in Oklahoma, and uh, that's just nonsense. You're always going to have left-wing activists come in and try to sue, make sense laws in our state, and try to disrupt the legislative process that happens. Uh, we're not concerned about that. We're obviously, we want to take care of mothers. And if, if, if mom's life's in danger, they're going to get the medical care that they deserve and they need. Um, so that's just all nonsense. That's just people trying to spin this in a circle. Uh, we don't think that's going to affect Oklahoma at all. Mm. Um, but, but again, we're prepared for that. We know that that's the first thing that the left does in these activist groups. Um, you know, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, has billboards in Oklahoma advertising for people to come to his state to get an abortion. Right. Um, and so just, just a bunch of nonsense going on. We, we, don't, we don't get it. Uh, but again, we're going to be uh, promoting families. We're going to be promoting adoption services. We're going to be uh, uh, you know, taking care of the moms when they find themselves maybe in a crisis pregnancy situation, mm -hmm. and we're going to help them through that difficult time. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can elaborate a little bit on what you mentioned about Governor Newsom, pro-abortion governors across the country. Here in California, for example, Governor Newsom's been stockpiling abortion pills for months, and now his attorney general is trying to sue people who provide abortion pill reversal to women who change their mind about chemical abortion. What do you make of these pro-abortion governors that are, that are pushing things like this? Yeah, you know, it's just a real head-scratcher for us why they're just so intent on, um, you know, assisting and really pushing, uh, uh, you know, abortions, really just over the top. It just, it's a, it, it, it seems, um, you know, it's, it seems very counterproductive. It just seems weird to us. Uh, on why they would be so actively trying to recruit people to their state mm -hmm. to do abortions. Again, we stand for life. 
uh, we want to protect and we want to help moms. And, and uh, I, I, I basically expanded postpartum benefits in Oklahoma up to a year. We've got crisis pregnancy centers. We've got money into fatherhood programs. We've got a, making it easier for adoption, taking the stigma away from, uh, from a, giving, giving up a child for adoption. So again, just a lot of things around the family unit, not just one thing. We want to take care of moms and babies in Oklahoma. Right. And you mentioned these fatherhood initiatives in Oklahoma. You know, there is an attack on strong men in our country today. Could you elaborate on the way that you're kind of coming alongside men, encouraging them to be there for the women in their lives, for the people in their lives, and really lead in a way that supports families? Yeah, you know, uh, focus on the family. I met with them earlier this week, and they were they were telling me some stats. In the 70s, about 73, uh, something about 80% of men ages 25 to 35 uh, were married. And then in 2005, that was dropped to 50%. Mm. Right now, it's down to around 28% of men ages 25 to 35 are married. Mm. And you want to talk about poverty? Um, if if uh, Getting rid of poverty, if a, if a husband and wife are raising kids in a marriage environment, uh, poverty is almost non-existent, less than 5%. But when you talk about single families and single homes, uh, you know, poverty rate just skyrockets up to close to 40% if you're a child in a single family. So, so again, um, just look at that. I mean, we know those values are important and marriage is important. Um, so let's just talk about it and let's just be, uh, you know, that's the way we do in Oklahoma. We just try to uh, talk about these things and we try to encourage and educate our young people on, hey, here's exactly how you need to do it. And the stats back us up. Um, and uh, but but I do believe there is an attack and on on uh, fathers right now, and I think it's so important for young people to have a mother and a father in the home. Right. And uh, pretty again, pretty common sense to us, um, but sometimes we don't see people talking about that nationally. Right. Shifting gears a little bit, obviously, so many lives have been saved since the overturn of Roe versus Wade. But in your view, what could the pro life movement be doing better to end more abortions? You know, I, I think one thing that uh, is always concerning when people try to pin me down and, oh, you, you know, you're, you're an extremist or you're banning abortion in your state, I try to flip it back on the other side. I said, okay, well, when, do, when does the left think that they should stop an abortion? And you can't give, get them to give you an answer. Please try to, get a give, try to have them tell you when they should stop an abortion. If you look at um, European countries, for example, France, they ban abortion at 14 weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, most of them are between 12 to 14 weeks. They literally think that you should be able to abort a child all the way up until birth, which is just the most grotesque thing ever. Um, so I think we need to have honest conversations, force them to talk about this. Oklahoma has been very upfront. We believe life begins at conception, but if you want to tell me it's a heartbeat at six weeks or maybe some people say viability at 18 or whatever, 20, there's a, there's a movement at 15 weeks. Uh, but for the left to just say there's no limits on this, um, you know, I think most Americans, when they really stop and think about it, they're way more in our camp right. than they are, um, you know, allowing abortion on demand at any point in the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the Democrats, that's what our president is advocating for, right? In D.C., we're facing some extreme national views on abortion. Obviously, it's great that this discussion has been returned to the states, but talk to me about how you're working with Oklahoma senators and leaders in Washington to kind of move the needle a bit on the national level. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a debate that's been going on for a while. You know, when Dobbs happened, it pushed it back to the states. This is really a state issue. 
And, uh, you know, every state's going to do things differently. I, I report to the 4 million Oklahomans that elected me. We're the 28th largest state population-wise. Um, and, of course, California does something, does something different. Um, there's a move to maybe do a, a nationwide ban at 15 weeks, um, which, you know, we'd be supportive of, I, I, I assume so. But I lean back to the states, right. and I think the states, uh, that's what the Constitution says. Anything that's not specifically given to the federal government belongs to the states or the people, and that's the Tenth Amendment. Mm -hmm. We're closer to the people of Oklahoma. It's 50 different examples of democracy, and, uh, and we recognize that, that we're going to do things differently than do in California. But right now, Oklahoma is top ten, not per capita, but true numbers, of people net migration, people moving to the state of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. You see states like California losing population uh, because they can see the difference between a pro-freedom, uh, pro-business, pro-family state like Oklahoma and Texas and Tennessee and Florida uh, versus states that are that are really tacking our way of life and our family values. Hmm, very interesting. Thank you for explaining that. Um, Governor Stitt, before I let you go, I want to bring it back to live action. Just talk to me a little bit about um, you know, what you're looking forward to this evening. Live action's done so much to save lives. If you could just talk a little bit about your experience working with them. Yeah, well, Lila's done an amazing job, and we need voices like Live Action uh, promoting these common sense, pro-life uh, values all across the country. And I'm excited about tonight. I brought my 15-year-old daughter with me, so a little father-daughter trip. That's great. Uh, from Oklahoma, so uh, we're going to have a have a good time out here, meeting meeting people from all across the country. Kathy Ireland's going to be here, so That's I'm right. looking forward to introducing my daughter to to her and and uh, all the other great uh, folks that are going to be here supporting. You know, really just common sense makes sense values. Mm -hmm. Well, we're grateful that you're here and grateful for all the lives that you've helped to save in your state. So thank you for joining me, Governor Stett, and for having a chat with me. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Stay tuned as next week we'll feature another iconic pro-life leader we spoke with on the evening of the gala. And if you're looking for more coverage from our time at the 5th Annual Life Awards, check out our Instagram at EWTN Pro Life. Coming up, October is Pregnancy, Infant, and Child Loss Awareness Month. We're joined by the one and only Kristalina Everett to discuss how we can serve women who suffer loss through miscarriage, stillbirth, and even abortion. Plus, a Catholic pro-life doula shares the joys of helping bring new life into the world and discusses how we can encourage pregnant mothers who have experienced pregnancy loss in the past. This, after the break. We'll be right back. You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to our program. October is Pregnancy, Infant, and Child Loss Awareness Month, and October 15th is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Remembrance Day. As we embark on this month, we wanted to sit down with someone who has experienced miscarriage herself and discuss the ways in which we can be there for moms and families who have mourned the loss of children. The Mayo Clinic reports that 10 to 20% of all pregnancies end in miscarriage, but that number could be higher due to the fact that some women miscarry very early before they realize they are pregnant. Kristalina Everett, founder of Women Made New Ministries, joins me now. Kristalina, thank you for being here. I know that you have suffered through three miscarriages throughout your life, one pretty recently. I'm so sorry for your loss, and I just wanted to ask when this happened to you, what or who was it that really gave you the most consolation? 
the most recent one actually happened last summer, and my husband was on a pilgrimage, and this was the first one that I actually went through by myself. Wow. And I will say every miscarriage has been very different, just with the timing of the miscarriage and how I was able to handle it emotionally. And this last one was very different one because I went through it alone, and two... I was so early on in that pregnancy that it was hard for people to kind of comprehend. And that's something I never experienced before because just because there wasn't um, that bump of the belly and that big, exciting announcement and people seeing and you showing mm. that that still was a pregnancy. And sometimes it gets written off and not taken as like a death of a child. But right. at the end of the day, that was my baby. I had a bond with that child. There was an emotional bond, a spiritual bond, and that God gives life, but God also takes life. And we're all open to life in the Catholic faith. And when he takes it from us, when you want to be so open, no matter the cost, that's really hard. And I know it was a gift to our family, and I didn't really understand at the time, because you go through this powerlessness, you go through this anger, you go through this grief, you go through all of the emotions when you lose someone that you love. And a lot of the times, these women that have these miscarriages, and I experienced it a little bit myself this last time, that you are going through it alone. Mm. And that must be such a difficult thing to go through it alone. It just compounds the difficulty, I'm sure. Kristalina, when a woman loses her baby, what are some of the things that people around her should be mindful of in serving her that they might not immediately be cognizant of, things that you might not think of that, that could perhaps hurt her more? Uh, one, that give yourself time to grieve. A lot of women think, well, it's a miscarriage, and the world looks at life like it's disposable, right? And even some family members, well, it, it was a miscarriage, you know, that really wasn't a baby, but it was. And so to one, give yourself time to grieve and give people that may have had a miscarriage that time to grieve. And you may not fully understand it, but they are going through something emotionally, physically, and just to be there with them and let them have that grieving period. But also I would encourage the women that have experienced miscarriages um, to embrace your baby, to name your baby, to pray to your baby. And we don't always understand why we have that loss in our lives, but at the same time, God knows. And with this recent last miscarriage that I did have, I had this realization in prayer that that was for me, but that God knew the battles that our family would be facing, the battles I would be facing, and that you have that little one that is so close to God that has passed on, that is there on the other side, that really is praying for you, interceding for you, mm -hmm. and and really kind of that cheerleader that you need those extra special graces of that family member up there that you wouldn't have had if they came on this earth with you. Of and course. so those were just special graces for myself. And to know that that baby is part of your family and forever will be part of your family. So when people ask, how many kids do you have? I always say, well, I have 11. I have eight here and three in heaven. Wow. And it's amazing how some women just all of a sudden tear up. Mm. And they said, you know, I'm the same. And they kind of are shy. Mm. Like I've had five miscarriages or I have had a miscarriage where it's like they're almost like quiet about it. But it's like, no, embrace your child. Embrace your loved one. And that is okay. And they are with you and they are your family. And you will see them when you pass away and you die one day. Yes, it's like your little personal saint in heaven, and it's such a source it of It really hope. is. It's yes. your own, like, going to battle for you yes. up there, you know? And some of us really need that, and God knows that, and he fully understands the graces that you're getting. And 
like us, we named all of them. I did not name the last one though. And I'm still healing from that. I'm still kind of working through that. Cause of it's course. not just an overnight one and done thing. Right. It's something you really have to process over time. And my son even came up to me, um, a couple months ago and he's like, mom, wouldn't this be the month that we would have, um, you would have been having a baby. And it kind of jolted me, you know, because they know what happens. We're very open about it. We pray to their brothers and sisters and the fact that's on, that's on their mind. So to also know that it affects your children as well. It's not yes. something that's just affecting you, but it affects the entirety of the family because that was their brother. That was their sister. And they know that and they have to process that too. But when my son said that to me, it was like, it, it, it took me back a little bit, but that's okay because they, they're thinking of it as well. Right. Yes, it's important to know that they understand. Uh, Kristalina, can you explain what the church teaches about the souls of those children who we lose when they are still so young? Um, you've spoken to this a bit, that they are, you know, in heaven. Um, but what does the church say about, about this? I'm not a theologian, but from <laughs> what I've read and, and studied on my own from going through this is that they become little saints and they become in the communion of saints and that 100% we don't fully understand or comprehend or know what happens after because they are not baptized, but God gives that life. God created that life. God takes that life and that that life is close to God because it came from him. And that really gave me a lot of consolation when I think of my little baby that I wasn't able to hold or have. And one of the children that we lost, um, I was much further along. And this mm -hmm. is when we lived in San Diego, we even had um, a burial service and a full-blown funeral. Yeah. And they do this sometimes in different parishes where they will have masses and they will have prayer services like once a month or maybe every six months to remember that child and to offer up a mass for your family, for your grieving and other women that have suffered loss. Mm. Well, Kristalina, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights and for your vulnerability with this conversation. So grateful to have you on as always. Kristalina Everett, God bless you. Thank you for having me. Many women who experience miscarriage are blessed with children after they go through this devastating experience. These children born after a miscarriage are known as rainbow babies. As Catholics, we share in the same hope of heaven for miscarried children that the church believes is possible for all unbaptized children, and they still belong to their earthly families. And the joy of new life is something that our next guest knows very well. She's a Catholic doula who has helped bring many new little lives into this world. Kateri Walters, a licensed social worker and birth doula based in Ohio, joins me now. Kateri, thanks for joining me. To start, talk to me simply about your role as a doula during the birth process. Well, thank you for having me here, Prudence. My role in um, this process is kind of guiding women through their pregnancy in order to bring them to a point where labor is no longer scary, no longer daunting, and um, really focusing on the joy of bringing their beautiful baby into the world. Mm. So that is just kind of... Uh, the overarching uh, theme of, of why I am here, yeah. why I'm there to help them. Of yeah, of course. And, and as a Catholic, what have you learned in your time as a doula about bringing the spiritual aspect into the birth process? Oh, man, so many good things have come out through just utilizing my faith through this whole experience from start to finish. Um, typically, women hire me um, around 25 weeks. That's typically... Um, when I am brought on and I just feel like the spiritual aspect comes into play and just 
um, reminding them why they're doing this, who they're doing this for, and ultimately um, glorifying God um, through their bodies by sacrificing themselves to deliver this baby. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of the peace comes from. Um, when you recognize, okay, like I'm, I'm meant to do this. I'm, I'm, my body was built to do this and, uh, praise God and glorify him through that. So right. yes, I, I just, I'm very grateful for that experience to experience that with other women. Of course. And you're empowering them to do just like you said, what their bodies are made to do. Um, yeah. Kateri, what are some things that you do with mom during pregnancy and leading up to the birth to help her really be well equipped for that special day and, and not think of it as something that's fearful, but something that she was made for? Yeah, so um, I tell moms that uh, the chiropractor is like the best thing that they could do just to keep their body aligned, like their um, their hips and everything. That's interesting. Um, because a lot of people, yeah, because a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, like what if I can't do this? What if I'm too small? You know, all these fears come into play. And that's what I really want to just dispel is th these fears. So that's the big thing. The second big thing, and this is like the smallest thing, but it's so empowering telling the nurse or midwife or whoever who is putting your IV in to put it in a place that doesn't bend. So not in the wrist, not in the elbow. Um, and I tell you, when I walk into that door to meet my mama and her dad, her, um, her husband, um, when they're about to bring the baby into the world, um, she looks at me and she says, look at my IV. It's not <laughs> in a place that bends. And I think that starts the ball rolling. It's the smallest thing that empowers you so much and that just gets gets you know our minds in a right headspace yeah. like okay, I can do this I can do bigger things too that's, so that's something that I never would have thought about so that's so interesting um yeah yeah Kateri what are some of the more difficult parts of being a doula I know you mentioned to me earlier this week that you helped a mom give birth the labor lasted 58 hours so yeah. talk me through like what what that's like yeah. So, um, first of all, this mom was amazing. She did everything that she could to really, um, muster through this labor. I was so proud of her and mom and, and baby are safe. Um, thankfully. Um, but yeah, so that's the, that's one of the most challenging things is that labor can last longer than you expect. And, things might not go the way that you expect them. You can have this whole birth plan laid out and this whole idea of this is going to happen, um, but it doesn't always turn out that way. So my job as a doula is to help kind of transition you from, you know, transition from being a coach into like, almost like a friend, like a confidant, reminding you like, hey, this isn't what you expected. It's not what you wanted, but now we're going to blaze this trail mm. and we're going to make it worth it. And we're going to give our all to this, whatever's happening now for the sake of baby, of course, and then for your mental health as well. So of course, just trying to remind them that like, just because things don't go your way, doesn't mean it isn't going to end with your beautiful bundle of joy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yes, beautifully said. And Kateri, before I let you go, as you know, we've been talking about miscarriage and pregnancy loss on this episode. From your perspective as a doula, what's really key to ensuring a mom who has experienced miscarriage in the past is able to have a peaceful delivery and isn't fearful of, of the past, really just make sure she's, she's empowered and ready with for this new life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a wise doula once told me that she was at a birth and this mom was talking about her baby who had passed away before this rainbow baby. 
And um, she was she was saying this baby's name, the one that had passed away that she had lost. And um, the nurse came in and said, who are you talking about? What are you saying? Why are you talking about this other person? Like, you need to focus on what's happening now. Um, but I think that's such a lie. I think it was beautiful to be reminded of of your baby in heaven, looking down upon you in this moment, like praising and 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 glorifying God through this new life or this new sibling. And I think it's really important for women to not suppress that, to really bring that through their next labor, to just be reminded of the beauty of their body that is given life and new life. Um, so I think remembering our babies in heaven is is very vital and very important. Mm to having a peaceful delivery. Amen. Thank you for sharing. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And thank you for joining us and sharing your expertise. Kateri Walters, Catholic pro-life doula. Thanks for joining us. God bless you. God bless you. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget, you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, now X, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. And if you're interested in more news from our nation and world, go to EWTN.com forward slash pro-life and sign up for our newsletter, The Pro-Life Pulse. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.